It's one thing to work on your own as an engineer. Leading a team of engineers, that's something else again. But what about running a consortium of executives from dozens of agencies, all with ideas about how to do a single function? That's what my next guest has done for about a year and a half now. For the third installment in our Tech Transfer series, Federal Labs Consortium Executive Director Paul Zielinski joins me now. Paul, good to have you on. Hi, good morning. Thank you very much for having me. And do you sometimes feel like you are herding cats in running this consortium of executives involved with tech transfer from dozens of agencies, right? Oh, absolutely, yeah. And that's really an interesting challenge within the U.S. government, as I like to describe it. You know, if you think about a wall and you think of each agency with their independent abilities, knowledge, mission, and all those other things, you know, if you think of those as the bricks, they're actually the mass of this, but we kind of are the mortar that holds all this together and makes it really a functional unit as a whole. Because if you're from the outside looking in at the government, you know, you don't really care which agency is which, and you may not understand that whole thing. But, you know, coming into one place and being able to tap into the network is what it's really all about. Sure. And you were an engineer for quite a while, I guess, at the EPA and so on. So tell us a little bit about your own career and how you ended up as the executive director of this consortium. (laughs) Great. It's a great question. We always kind of joke about some of that within the tech transfer community. It's sort of this place where you end up because you have this interest in technology. So uh, as you say, I mean, I've had kind of a winding career of a couple different agencies starting in the military. I was on active duty with the U.S. Army, got deployed all over the place, kind of an exciting thing to do. But then I went into the civilian side of the government, working at the Department of Energy, primarily working at environmental cleanup, actually, for the Department of Energy complex. The interest thing about that was actually we didn't have the technology to do the work. And so it was required that we worked with the science engineers and really develop new technologies just to deploy it, even to tackle the challenges that we had. So that was really where I got into this whole technology piece. Uh, moving on over to the Environmental Protection Agency, as you can imagine, not a huge jump from uh, working on environmental work. Uh, but again, just working on that deployment of technology across all the different EPA sectors and then eventually ending up in the Department of Commerce uh, with the National Institute of Standards and Technology, which actually coordinates this function uh, on the government side of things across the different government agencies and, in fact, is our host agency. Right. And that's what we should point out, too, that the consortium is not just a trade group or an interest group or some kind of a professional association. It is a functioning congressionally chartered agency that has a specific job to do of getting that technology transfer accomplished, correct? Oh, absolutely, yeah. So in the Federal Technology Transfer Act of 1986, um, they actually have a line in there that there will be a federal lab consortium and the members are the federal laboratories. And so, as you know, it is something that Congress put into place. And it's also one of those things that the laboratories are members of, kind of whether they like it or not. That is by statute. And Being an engineer in the federal government or a researcher or scientific researcher of some sort, someone in the activity of creating intellectual property, what's your sense of whether that function is all that different in the government versus working in the private sector? In a lot of ways, it's not, really. And that's sort of the point of many of the tech transfer laws, is actually to try to make the government development process much more accessible and understandable by industry partners. And that's really when you get down to many of the different ways that we do these things, it is a matter of trying to make it accessible to the companies and the businesses that are actually deployed these products. 
there are differences, however, and of course, you know, being a federal employee is very different than being a civilian, if you will. And I think one of the attorneys I work with, I think, summed it up best, which is that, you know, with the free country, you can do whatever you want. That's not illegal. But if you're a government employee, you can only do what you're authorized to do. Sure. And of course, that has a big impact on what it is we do. We're speaking with Paul Zielinski. He's executive director of the Federal Labs Consortium. And now you've been there about a year and a half, but the techniques and strategies that people use to do the technology transfer, each agency has that function. Is it fairly uniform from agency lab to agency lab? And does the consortium try to bring more uniformity to it? Right. So it is relatively uniform. We do operate under the same general guidelines and laws across all agencies. I mean, they do broadly apply and they can use those things that we have as tools. And so they're available to all of the different agencies. Now, some agencies do have some special extra authorities that aren't consistent, but for the most part, the general base practices are available to all of the agencies to use. And again, when you think about some of these other things that agencies can do, they're more enhancements that they are rather than something you know less than. Um, so it's always more greater than, essentially. And these aren't really new things either. They've been around for a while, and they're pretty consistent. Now, the members of the consortium have their own full-time jobs at their respective agencies. You've got a you know board that revolves from time to time, and we've got the other new officers coming on also. What is the day-to-day role of being executive director? Right. Well, as you know, everybody who works on the consortium in terms of the membership, I mean, they elect members. So we have a a chair that's from the Navy. We have a vice chair from the NSA. We have folks, our different officers are from different agencies, and they all have a full-time job. So none of them are dedicated to working on this task. And that's really where we come in staffing this function. So I lead that staff function uh, to make sure that we're operational. Uh, we have our big areas we call promote, educate, and facilitate. So we you know, make sure people know that these things are available, that there are things that businesses can use to enhance economic development. We actually provide education for the profession of technology transfer, how government employees or laboratory employees actually perform their function and their job in a consistent way. And then we actually then facilitate trying to make um, availability of some of the technologies with companies and setting up the possibility of these transactions taking place. So we enhance that ability. I was going to ask, you must do a lot of outreach to industry so that it knows what is available to its economic development and its business development plans that this federal intellectual property is there for licensing. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it's one of those things where you start to think that, you know, I've said this so many times, but every single time I go to a new place, I meet new businesses that really aren't aware of the different possibilities. And uh, when you think about our complex, sort of this unlimited pool, it almost seems of just the ability to work with federal agencies and, of course, businesses. And there's always new startups coming on board. And that's always sort of an interesting, too, thing as well as just sort of informing them of the possibilities that exist in partnering with some of these agencies. What's your sense of how licensing from the government differs and maybe more advantageous, say, than company-to-company licensing? Sure. Well, I think there's this bedrock principle that's put into the law. So there's the Bayh-Dole Act, which was actually passed in 1980, that gives us our orders from Congress in terms of what we're supposed to do for licensing. And the whole goal of that act was actually what they call practical application. That is, how is someone going to actually use it? We don't want to license it off for someone to actually say, you know, this is better than the product. We're going to license it. We're going to put it on the shelf. Uh, In fact, the licensing is used in order to advance product development. So there's something that, you know, you or me could buy because that's the only way you get access to this technology. I mean, if you really think about it, the government doesn't manufacture things that you buy. 
when you think about even something as simple as the COVID vaccines we're all talking about, you're not getting a U.S. government vaccine. You're getting it from a company. So there's a company that must be in that intermediary. They're going to make cell distribute products. And so the whole trick is getting it from the research bench then out into the marketplace. And that's where we focus. And is it enjoyable work that you do? Oh, it's fascinating work because it's always something different. As I said, you know, we work with every agency. And so if you think of the full breadth of research and development in the United States government, you know, you really kind of get into everything and anything. And so there's always some sort of a new twist, something new, exciting that's coming up, some new technology. Think about the fascinating technologies that come out of all these research projects. Uh, there's always something new going on, and I think that's actually what makes it interesting. And then, of course, there's always the new businesses that are coming up, and they're trying different new business practices and trying to launch new exciting things and products. And so that, that actually makes the work really kind of interesting and always sort of on the cutting edge as well. Paul Zielinski is executive director of the Federal Labs Consortium. Thanks so much for joining me. Oh, my pleasure. Tomorrow, we wind up with another executive director of the University of Montana's TechLink Center that gives operational support to many agencies' transfer activities. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on your schedule. Subscribe at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual, uh, afloat commands. Uh, The first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, And then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con- consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin and what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, 
and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where what you can do to help them. Uh, I we'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, And I I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention and it was, it was, you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions. Uh, Do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy, and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy, and... um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes, when I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? 
Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.